Hello and welcome to BB On The Record, this podcast from British Bandsmen. I'm Mark Good, editor of British Bandsmen. Thank you so much for listening. In this episode, I hear from actor and musician Sarah Grorke Booth. From conducting to the cobbles of Coronation Street and appearing in theatre, Sarah has enjoyed a diverse and fascinating career. Since taking over at Rainford Band almost a year ago, she's enjoyed a fantastic start, including a podium place at the North West Regionals. Sarah reflects on her conducting career, discusses treating a score like a script, and charts her path from studying music to acting and going full circle. She also discusses the importance of giving more women the opportunities to embrace positions of leadership in the brass band world, and gives an honest view of the standards of conducting and adjudicating. But first, what has it been like as a freelance creative working in the performing arts during the pandemic? It's not been easy. I've tried to keep in touch with my band. We've done some Zoom rehearsals, which are interesting. It's a bit of a cacophony of sound, to be honest. Um, I I do remember those bars that were actually together for a a brief fleeting moment. Like many freelancers, um, it's financially been um, really quite poor because all my strands of work, acting, playing, conducting, whatever, they've just ceased. And they ceased immediately um, from March and a, a relatively full diary was then empty. So, and also it's not, it's not just the financial hit, it, it's just missing being in a room, collaborating with people and, and creating something, which as a, as a creative, it's, it's soul destroying uh, to miss that. So it has been difficult. There's nothing like, as you say, getting in a room and working with people and enjoying that unique experience how have you been able to adapt to working online using applications like zoom or whatever it might be i suppose it's nice to retain some sense of engagement and you talked about what the band's been up to but of course it doesn't come close to replicating what we're used to it was quite good fun uh, you know we we accepted the fact that it wasn't going to be perfect but it, it was a good way of a, seeing people, all right, in 2D rather than 3D, but um, also just keeping their lips in. Just, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd set a click track on and play through some marches, uh, do about an hour, an hour and a quarter maybe. Musically, you wouldn't say it was the, the best moment for um, British bands, musical uh, extravaganza, uh, but, it, it, you know, it, it, was, it was fun and, and it served a purpose. Um, Zoom has been useful. I mean, I, I also run a, a drama school for primary age children and we've, we've been doing some sessions over Zoom, which have worked, actually. You've had to adapt some of the exercises and some of the things you do with them. But it really helped the children, I think, because they were out of school um, just to give them something each week that they could definitely say this is in the diary for this week and I've got something to prepare for it. And then, you know, see other children, the, the children they're used to playing with and uh, working with. So I think it was it was quite a useful thing for them. Routine is important. And I think particularly with, with bands, I mean, you don't have to be in a band, you know. It's uh, for for players, for a lot of players, uh, certainly the lower section bands, you, you don't have to go. You're not going to earn any money by doing it. You're not going to miss anything, uh, you know, financially if you don't go. But what you do miss is that, is that whole collaborative sense that, ensemble sense that community of going somewhere and I think particularly with music 
with drama also, but I think there's a, there's a thing with music that I think uses a different part of your brain and you can sit in a rehearsal and, you know, you're concentrating on what you're doing and whatever's gone on in the day or whatever you've got to do the next day or what you've got to do after rehearsal, that goes and you just concentrate. You're in, it's, it's it being in the moment and I think that's so important and people will be missing that. Yes, I think some bands will will struggle to to regroup afterwards. I think it will be tough for, for some some bands. But there'll always be that core membership of, of every band that will work their damnedest to get people back in the fold. And um, I suppose as a as a conductor, the most important thing is is to make those rehearsals worthwhile for people and to be working even harder than I, I would normally be, just making sure they're they're A enjoyable and and a really good musical experience for everybody. Although clearly the past few months have been very difficult from a banding perspective. Do you think there are any positives bands might be able to take from this experience so they can actually come out the other side in a better position? There's one positive, I suppose, that um, is don't moan about going to band rehearsal ever again. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's such a privilege now. So, you know, think, think twice about missing it in the future. The most enjoyable aspect, I think, of bands is the concert platform. Contests, I know, are, you know, they're exciting in a different way and enjoyable in a different way. And um, I do love a good contest. I'm a sucker for a contest. Um, it's, it's great being able to prepare so, so much detail on a piece and uh, really get inside. I love that. But I really enjoy presenting the band to the public. And I think that's going to be something we'll, we'll be missing. I suppose there are some positives. Maybe you rethink things. You think about what is important, what, what being in a band is about. What's it for? Why do we do it? And I think we definitely do it for ourselves, for, which is a good thing, you know, for our, 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 our sense of well-being, our sense of who we are. And that, again, that ensemble collaborative thing. But maybe we just need to think about where we sit in our communities and, you know, what we're there for. We're just all desperate to get back to it. Of course, when it's safe to do so, but we're really all starting to feel that now. As for your partnership with Rainford, Sarah, it's something which had been promising so much, uh, certainly until lockdown came into effect. You became musical director almost a year ago. In November, there was a podium place at the Scottish Open. Then there was a, another third place at the Northwest Regional Contest earlier this year on the band's return to the championship section. How much were you enjoying that partnership until things got in the way? Oh, I was really loving it. The first time I walked into their band room, I felt at home. It, it was just it's, sometimes you, you just go in a band room and think, "Oh yeah, yeah, this 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 is going to be good," and um, we we clicked. And I really enjoyed working with them. Uh, but it, it was a, it was a very good choice actually for us that that first piece that Waverly because um, and also the the march uh, with it because it was a very light style, very orchestral, very the, the style was good to work on, and they really responded. So I enjoyed that immensely. Yeah, the, A Tale Is Yet Untold, very difficult piece. You know, that it, it wasn't easy at all, and it, it took a lot of work. I mean, it was actually the first time I've uh, conducted in the Northwest area and championship section. So, you know, it, it was my debut as well. It was interesting to see where we sat, really, in that, in that field. 
I went in to hear an earlier band and thought, oh, okay, well, that's fine then. <laughs> they were okay. What they were doing was going on and, and doing exactly what we'd rehearsed, which is always nice um, when a band just does what they they should do and enjoy it, you know, because, I mean, there's no point going on to a contest stage, not enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, no point working all that time and then, you know, being frozen with nerve. Just go on, do your stuff, enjoy it, perform. And if, if you're better than any other band, great. If you're not, does it matter? You know, you've done your best. That's, that's the only thing that's important. You've performed something that's, you know, that you believe in. You believe the shape is right. You believe all the stuff you've done is right. And this is this is us, you know, and you just present it. And if, if it does well, great. If it doesn't, well, you know, you've done your bit. It's okay. But we're, we're having such a good time. And they were playing so well. And then, you know, it was going to be my first time at the Grand Shield. And I've not conducted there either. So, uh, yeah, it's a shame because we, we were enjoying it. You've been enjoying this flourishing partnership with Rainford, but you've also enjoyed a lengthy conducting career. How did you first pick up the conducting bug? Well, I, I first began playing with um, with Marple Band. They were a third section band when I was, oh, 10, I think. I played with them till I was uh, early 20s. I went to Salford, um, Salford University, University of Salford, as it is now, um, the old Adelphi building, and did the... Um, my band musicianship course and then went on to do a, a master's in performance specializing in conducting i wanted to ex- i wanted i needed to find a way of expressing my musical sense um and as a player technically i was all right but i, I wasn't i wasn't fantastic i was frustrated the fact that I, I couldn't create what i wanted to create just by myself so i wanted to mold others i suppose I had a lot of train, really good training from uh, Dave King and Roy Newsom, David Holt, and got my first band when I was, I don't know, 22-ish, I think. And yeah, I've always had a band um, wherever I've lived. I mean, I I conducted up here for quite some time. Then I went down to, to Bristol to train at the Bristol Old Vic. Had a band in Bristol, moved over to London, had a band in London. And then, um, well, yeah, had a band in Wales as well. I've, I've done most, con- I've not done Scotland yet. <laughs> Scotland's um, still on your uh, to-do. It, it is. It is. I love Scotland, I have to say. I've moved there tomorrow. I've had first section bands. I've conducted when I was in London. It was a four section band. We won the four section uh, finals with them. Um, I've conducted third section bands. I was conducted Tintwistle for eight years. They were second section, but a really good second section band, actually. They just kept teaching on the uh, going up to first section few things happened and then we, we couldn't compete and um they were they were a lovely band they were they were a great concert band actually um so that they were good uh, very fond of that band it was time to to have a crack at a top section band i had a bit more time children were getting a bit older and, and i thought okay so as you look back on your conducting career to date then sarah are you able to pick out any real highlights that stick in your mind even to this day i mean i guess you could reflect on events maybe earlier this year but as you cast the name yeah there's there's always a few that that remain in your in your mind i think my my first contest win was the first contest i ever conducted in and it was of number one number one draw at buxton and um it was on oceans which is a lovely piece i've always liked that piece um it's a it's a tough second section piece actually as well it's 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 a really good one yeah, that was my first contest, the, the lovely Malcolm Brownbill, bless him, um, gave him my first prize. That's obviously, obviously stuck in my brain because that was the first one. When I took Potter's Bar, the, the 
London band to the fourth section final. They had no idea how good they were playing. And I didn't tell them because I didn't want to, uh, you know, put any pressure on them. Um, and I knew they'd do well. I'd have been quite surprised had they not won really, because they were just, they just did everything they should do. And it was great. It was, it was a, a really nice performance. That, that, was, that was great because they were so shocked <laughs> and so chuffed. And they were a lovely band. Still got some chums in there. Uh, very fond members of that one. A biggie for me was was Marple. Um, they had three weeks before the national finals, the second section on Traversada. Um, and they asked me to take over. So I did three weeks on them uh, with them. I knew the night before that they were really on it. And we had we had something really quite lovely to present to the world. Uh, and um, they presented it well. It's, it's nice to have returned to a band and there's still still people in there. I mean, there was a, a chap in there who used to conduct the junior band when I was in the junior band, you know, the 10 year old, 11 year old. And he was on bass. So that was nice and um, very fond memories of, of of the people in that band. So that, that was a lovely moment. The last two have been great because Waverly was the first time conducting Rainford. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed. I, I didn't know how they would do on the, on the contest stage. You know, it was an unknown quantity. Lovely performance. Great fun. Great weekend. Lovely people. And then, you know, tell as yet untold. Knew it was a tricky piece. It was. It was so good to to work on that and to achieve something with it. To you know, to to get it to a a really decent standard and to get a good performance out of it was very very satisfying um, and thoroughly enjoyable. Sarah, have you encountered challenges or obstacles as a conductor and as a, a woman that you don't think would have been the case for a man? I don't know. It's, it's, it's quite a big issue, the lack of female conductors. I mean, not just in, in, in brass bands. It's, you know, there's, there's still, um, oh, look, it's a woman uh, uh, in, the, in the mainstream. And we've got a, a female conductor doing the last night of the proms, yeah, which is great. Uh, and it's becoming... They are definitely coming through and becoming more mainstream, which is fabulous. That can only help. It was never a problem for me because I just wanted to do it, and I, I've I've been always been the type of person that if I want to do something, I just I just do it. It doesn't matter whether I I don't really see gender roles. I've I've never been that been put off by things like that. You know, I'm the one that decorates. I'm the one that, you know, fixes things. I'm, I'm that sort of person. I just do it. <laughs> but I do recognise that not everybody gets the opportunity. If you don't have positive role models, it becomes more difficult for some people to make that leap. I didn't push myself forward because where I was at the time suited uh, suited my life, you know, with kids and bands are just up the road and all that sort of stuff. So, And also because I was acting, you know, uh, any band that I had might have to just, you know, not have me for six weeks or eight weeks while I was doing something, you know, so uh, it, it suited me at the time to, to do both both jobs, to have a, a, a lower section band. It's difficult to see if ever I've been held back because, you know, how would I know? Do you know what I mean? I, I've certainly not experienced any, any problems within any bands I've had. Definitely not. Gender or anything like that just goes out of the window because it's, 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 the, it's the people. You're just looking at the, the, the people, aren't you? And how you react with people and how you um, communicate with people. I don't, there's never been a problem there at all. But I think certainly in the early, I mean, my early days of playing this blokish behaviour, shall we say, which was pretty unnecessary. And um, that is largely gone, let's hope, out of society. I mean, that was, you know, in the 80s. You know, you still uh, just attitudes towards women were very different. 
and slowly but surely um, they are changing. So I don't know. I really don't know. All I know is that we need to promote women to, to try and get them to, to uh, take the lead. But if they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. But, you know, being able to see that it's possible is important, I think. At the moment, we've now arrived at the position where we look around even the leading bands, although it took some longer than others. But of course, you see so many wonderful women sitting playing in bands. Mm -hmm. It doesn't quite tally up then looking through to positions of leadership, does it? It's at least 50-50 in most bands, if not um, going the other way, actually. Some amazing female players and also soloists. I mean, there's no, there doesn't seem to be as, uh, a barrier there. It's it's getting to the next thing, The if, if indeed conducting is the next level. It's that leadership thing. Adjudicators. Um, there aren't many uh, female adjudicators. Um, I mean, it's not everybody wants to do that job, and it's 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 not it's not an easy job, and it's not something that everybody wants to do. I can understand that. It's not everybody's idea of um, fun sitting in a box for uh, you know five hours, rice scribbling away. We are again getting more women into into the fold uh, in ABBA, which is great. I mean, the percentage is just so low. Saying that, conducting brass bands anyway, you know, where do you where do you learn it? You know, I mean, unless you go to music college, where do you study it? I mean, there are a lot of people who are standing in front of bands who have had absolutely no training whatsoever. You know, they might be musically astute and know what they're doing, but to be able to convey that to their ensemble is not it's something you need to really analyse and, and work at and, and also have somebody analysing you as well. You know, having that mirror, holding a mirror up to you and saying, actually, that really isn't working. Without that sort of training... There's sometimes there's a band there that's got loads of potential and are doing well in spite of the person in the middle, rather because of. And it's we need to we need to see get a bit of more quality control really in the conducting of, of bands at all levels, I think. Um, whether it be male or female, just you know, we need to help our conductors a bit more. Well, I think you bring us on to a fascinating topic there, and as you touched upon yourself. It's fine if someone has perhaps gone to music college or a conservatoire and they've been able to benefit from the training that that offers. But you may have somebody um, sitting out with that realm who is a very fine musician, but it's then turning that into the, mm -hmm. the gesture required and maybe the communication skills required to convey that to a band. Well, Sarah, now we arrive at your piece of the podcast. And this is a piece which I don't think will come as much of a surprise to anyone who's been listening to the podcast so far. Tell me about why you've chosen this piece and what it means to you. A tale is yet untold. It was the first piece at the regionals for me in the top section. It was one of those pieces that, I mean, visually, it's it's very busy and there's lots of things to overcome. There's lots of technical, you know, lining up with things and where beats happen and what, you know, what mixes, what, what joins up with something else and what, which bit to bring out and and uh, which shape is important and, you know, and all the beating patterns, how they affect the flow of the music. It was interesting watching people, uh, what they did with that, uh, with the first movement, you know, how they approached it. How uh, the shape of that, particularly that first movement was so satisfying. The whole linking of the idea right from the start, the beat just, just continues all the way through. Um, and there's so much in that. It's a really long movement. Just, just working on that. Again, it was interesting what people chose with the mutes and things and, you know, stuffing things in the mutes to make it really quiet and all that. And 
so it doesn't resonate as well, I don't think. But anyway, I could cut mute to be cut mute. Everything was so important. And that beautiful sang movement and all, all those those solos and the the best bit for me was always that quartet in the middle. It was so and really satisfying when that worked. And then that final movement, brilliant. I mean it's marked at one sixty. Do you do you take do you take it slightly slower? Do you go one five two? I opted for the one sixty. That was a bit risky, I have to say, because it's a fair lick. I love the end of it. I love when the when the trommies come in with that that big theme at the end, and you've discussed everything. You know, should this be the way? This is the way. Is it no? This is the way. No, and then it's come on. We've got the idea. Come on, this is it. This is where we should be going. Come with us. You know, and, and it bring they bring the whole band with them, and then. Uh, oh, and it's, it's just great. A bit of a, bit of a, a Bolero end. Well, without any further ado, let's listen to Sarah Guark Booth's piece of the podcast. This is Philip Sparks, A Tale As Yet Untold.
The Sound of Cory Band, conducted by Robert Childs. That a live recording of the Welsh band performing a tale as yet untold music by Philip Sparr. That was the piece of the podcast as chosen by my guest today, Sarah Gwark-Booth. Sarah, your career path is a fascinating one. It's one which has seen you pursue studies and a career in music, but you also studied at Bristol Old Vic going on to work in acting. Can you just join some of those dots and explain how those twists and turns came about? I'd studied music from, well, I started, I was always good at music from a, a relatively early age. My parents weren't, aren't musical, uh, but both me and my brother are. My granddad was a was an actor at some point, but he died when I was young, so I, I don't remember him. But this, it's it's there, and my uncle's an, an artist and things. So there's, there's that, that creative gene is definitely there. I did dabble in drama. I always wanted to join the local Amdram, but it was on a band night. I ended up you know, going into music college, which I really enjoyed. I'm so glad I did. Just learning, particularly the, the, the conducting side, has been amazing. I've really enjoyed that. Um, and then I taught for a few years. I taught brass at Bolton School. Uh, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed, but I knew there was more there. I've always enjoyed theatre, always enjoyed English, you know, the, the written word, all, all that poetry, all, all those things. Shakespeare, always had a major, major thing with Shakespeare from, from doing it at O-level, loved it. I joined the local Amdram and realised actually, oh no, I can do this. <laughs> this is okay. Because nobody did it, you see, no, nobody... There was this is the whole thing about role models and stuff. I, I didn't know anybody that did that sort of thing. Nobody does that like me, you know. I, I, who, who, who am I to think that I could possibly do that sort of thing? I decided to go to one of the top five drama schools and think, you know, can I get in? I did get a place at uh, uh, one of the other ones as well, but that was just for a one-year course. This was a two-year course. Um, thought, right, I, I'm going. I'm in. Got in straight away um, and absolutely loved it. Amazing training. You never turn off the the musician of you in you, and you never turn off the actor in you. Whichever one I'm doing, they're they're both they're both there. You know, these creative juices are, are uh, inform each other, which is is, is great. Uh, if a juice in, can, in fact can inform anything, I became a much better musician after uh, training as an actor in a, in a rehearsal room with actors on stage all those things that are just amazing um that i mean i really really miss that um but i also i really love conducting i i call myself an actor that is who i am but i am also a, a musician you know but i had to stand up and say i'm not a musician that would be completely wrong you know i am both of these things and I, I enjoy both of them. A lot, a lot of creative people are are, are creative in, in many different ways. I mean, there's, um, you know, I've known fantastic musicians who are brilliant artists and people are rarely creative in one strand. It's really interesting you, you chat about the kind of blurring between those worlds and how one might help influence the other. To what extent does your dramatic training help and carry over into the world of musical performance? You know, as a conductor, is it the way you yeah. communicate to the band verbally, non-verbally? I suppose it's the way I describe things or uh, for me, uh, music is often, well, it's, it's full of character. So I, I will always try and find the character in the music. Something like Waverly, that sort of stat. There's loads of characters in there. There's one, you know, he's got his horse and he's, he's trotting away, and it's all, you know, all very, he's, you know, showing a little bit of his, his lovely ankle and all that sort of stuff. There's, there's things like that in there that you can, you can get, you can get so much um, character out of the music. 
I can't turn that off when I'm when I'm conducting. That's the only way I, I can get into it. I mean, there's the nitty gritty. There's the there's the absolute detail that has to be there. Um, rhythmic detail, particularly all that has to, has to be neat and you know really solid for me. W what's it doing? Why is it why is it here? What's it telling us? What who is this? You know, what, what's it about? Is this a character here, or what's the intention of this? So, I approach a score the the way I would approach a, a script. To be honest, I mean, with with a script, you need absolute clarity as well, and particularly if you're playing comedy or you know certainly farce, you know, timing is so important. And uh, if if you're just slightly off, you won't get that laugh. Well, one of your other commitments sees you involved with the Association of Brass Band Adjudicators. Based on what you see when you're attending contests and other events in normal times, where do you think we are? What do you make of the standard of adjudicating generally at present? Well, I've always worked with really nice adjudicators. I'm not going to say that anyway, aren't I? But um, I've always had a really good time. I much prefer it when there's two in the box. I know there's there's all these people have a bit of a grumble, you know, one's stronger than the other. and But it's, it really isn't like that. You, you're sitting there, you, you're both writing your own views on things but you're always looking for the same thing i mean generally you, you've got very similar ideas because you are you are looking for the same thing and I, the way that we've got it structured now with uh, abba we've all got got this the, the pack doc, document which is the criteria which we use um which it's is is obvious criteria it's, it's all those things it's, it's all those basics um and they're all weighted equally because if you've got a band that's, that's really uh, tight rhythmically, but is hideously out of tune, you can't ignore that. But it's, it would be quite unusual to have a band that is tight rhythmically and hideously out of tune because so usually you're out of tune because, it, you know, the ensemble's not together in thought and uh, rhythmic. So all those, all those basic things generally are going wrong at the same time. And there's a lot of new blood coming into the association. And the training scheme is very good. There's a there's a, well, it's a training scheme that people can go on to uh, have a go at well, sitting outside of the box and doing doing it under uh, doing an adjudication under uh, contest um, restrictions, if you like. Um, so I think I think it's good, but there'll, there'll always be people who don't like the result. Obviously, I think what's very important is when you speak at the at the end of the contest. That's a really important moment. People do want to know what, why you've put them where they, they, they are in the, in the mix, um, why you said what you've said, what you were looking for, what you didn't see or what really did work and all those things. I think that's really important. It takes so much for a band to actually get on stage. We care about that result and, and the people I've certainly worked with all care about that and take time you know, to get it right and, and always waiting for that that one you know and if, sometimes if you've had 20 bands and you get to band 13 you still not heard the band that can actually really do it thinking okay well we need that one and everyone he starts really when you go on and you're rooting for each band and then sometimes it just slips away and you, think, oh. and you feel for them and also if there's a player that's nervous or anything oh you feel so sorry for them you know, we're not not sitting there going, oh dear, that's shocking. Oh dear, that's shocking. It's it's come on, you can do it. Come on. <laughs> it, it's a difficult job. It's it's objective to a degree and is subjective to a degree. And it's it's not a perfect science. It can't be. If you were creating a new band contest tomorrow, let's say for the oh. sake of argument, right, that it's a <laughs> test piece event, 
Would okay. the adjudicators be behind a curtain or out in the open? I've done both actually. I've done open and um, closed adjudication. I prefer closed personally. You can hear everything. I think it's more useful to not be able to see. We're not being asked to, this is on a, a normal contest, you're not being asked to adjudicate the the performance that you're visually getting. You're asked to adjudicate the one that you're hearing. You've got enough going on. You've got a score in front of you. You've got your writing, which let's face it, nobody writes these days. <laughs> you know, my hand always aches a lot after <laughs> doing an adjudication. Um, so writing furiously, listening and looking and thinking. <laughs> You know, we do that as well. Uh, so there's lots of multitasking going on. To then have uh, the visual going on as well would be very distracting. And particularly sometimes a band can be doing something in spite of what's going on in the middle sometimes. You think, what are you, think, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Oh, right. And you distract it. So it's, it's, it's much easier to do it behind closed. It's not that we're hiding anything. It, it actually focuses the mind. It focuses you totally. There's too many distractions with open adjudication. Obviously, when you're doing an entertainment contest and you're also, you know, judging the whole entertainment thing, then yes, obviously you need to see. Um, but I, I, do, I do prefer closed adjudication. I think it's a, a fairer system. I mean, this is why the whole gender debate we are having earlier, orchestras now do auditions behind curtains don't they so so the the panel can't see who it is to make sure that they don't think they don't know whether it's a um well they don't know who the person is they just hear the music sarah it has been fascinating to hear from you today I'm so delighted that we were able to chat just finally how are the coming weeks shaping up for you are there any glimmers of hope at this time <laughs> we may well be returning to rehearsals as we do have a um, a large hall that we can access so we can, and it is a big hall actually. So uh, there are plans afoot to return. I mean, it'd just be nice to see people in glorious 3D uh, rather than a 2D on a Zoom call um, and just be in the same room as people. I, I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know, yeah, we'll, we'll just see. That is a glimmer of hope. So hopefully that will, that will work out. Telly's picking up a bit more now, and I'm producing audiobooks now, narrating and producing audiobooks. So that's, that's uh, where I've decided to uh, focus a little bit. So there's lots of time talking to myself in the studio and then listening to myself whilst I edit it. So I get a little bit bored of my own voice, um, but they're, they're coming out on Audible soon. So things are a little bit more hopeful than perhaps they were um, a while ago. But uh, I think it's a long road ahead. The test really for us is going to be the areas next year, really for the, for the band community. Uh, they're so important and um, I just hope there's a way that those can happen, even, even if they're postponed to later in the year, I don't know. But that's it's such an important part of, of banding, those, those areas. Yeah, I hope those, those can go ahead in some form. But we'll see, really. That's it for this episode of BB On The Record. 
thank you to Sarah Gwark Booth, and thank you to you for listening. Remember, you can enjoy a digital subscription of British Bandsmen. It costs just £42.99 for one year. Go to BritishBandsmen.com and click on subscribe. Do get in touch about anything you might have heard on the podcast. You can email info at BritishBandsmen.com. That's info at BritishBandsmen.com. As for this podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Join me next time on BB On The Record. Bye for now.